You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Coming to you on Monday, the 2nd of August, and as has become the norm, we're not all here. So this week, it's Vince and I, and it might be a shorter episode, but that will depend on how much we're going to chat about Guild Wars 2. You know, we can just go on for a while. For quite a while, yeah. Now, that said, though, how I know you're not playing Guild Wars 2 right now. When you saw the announcement for Path of Fire... How did you feel? Was it one of those, okay, I need to reinstall it, or was it, oh, it looks impressive? It was more the second one, like, hey, that's really cool. I'm happy for my friends who play that game. Okay. Hmm. Because I, it, although I have more of uh, a fondness for the IP, perhaps, than you do, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, I think that's just fair to say. And, and, and but but I say that, and yet I'm not playing right now. <laughs> So, because while the initial announcements for um, Heart of Thorns was impressive on the surface, once it actually came out and people were playing it and realized just how little was in there and different things, it was like, okay, well, no, I'm not going to be forking over a a lot of money for something that's really not going to do much for me for the game to entice me to get back in. Which, I mean, right off the bat, I think is the best thing about uh, the new expansion. I've already forgotten what the hell it's called. Path Path of Fire. Fire. That it's only 30 bucks instead of 50. Yeah. Well, not just that, but you can actually buy it as a standalone. You don't have mm-hmm. to buy the base game. I was like, okay, well, fuck, that's awesome right then and there. Yeah. So, no, I, this for me actually was one of those where, because I was talking to uh, my son about it, because he was asking, like, he saw me looking at videos because prepping for this. And he was saying, well, okay, how does it look like? Does it look good? And I said, it, it, I'm reinstalling it. So I am going to reinstall it and kind of dink around some. It's one of those games that I I really, really ridiculously enjoyed it initially, and it just kind of fell to the wayside as I started working on, on other MMOs, some for the podcast and some just because of personal preferences. And as much as it is a an MMO that really revolves around their stories and their lore and whatever, as someone who really likes story... I was always kind of drawn more to like SWOTOR over this. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I spent the majority of my time. But no, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, yeah, I really need to get into this. And I would like to pop in towards the tail end of season three. That's going to be ending just as it's going into this expansion, which is coming out on the 22nd of September. I believe I read. Yeah. 22nd of September, which is fucking soon. And there's not going to be an interruption either of their living world experience, which is there was that interruption when Heart of Thorns came out so that they can kind of get get ahead of themselves with the expansion, give themselves a little bit of breathing room to because it, the, that expansion was much more about the features, whereas this one they're saying is a content expansion. So mm-hmm. just for folks who may not have watched the announcement, at the tail end of this season, 
you're actually slaying an elder dragon. And this is the second one that's slain. And a lot of its kind of energy surges across the globe and it kind of twists creatures and whatnot. So you're going to see some, some reimaginings of existing creatures and things like that. But there's a, a humanoid God and it was believed that they had all left Tyria, but apparently not. And Balthazar, Balthazar, oh my God, Balthazar's there. He's the god of fire and war, and he's been kind of wandering about in disguise and 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 getting troops ready and whatnot, and trying to siphon up as much of that energy as he can. And it gets to the point where he actually wants to go after the remaining dragons, elder dragons as well, to get their power. Now, one of the other things that was cool here is that you're getting a new ally. And another power, they say, another new power is born, and it's a dragon. So there's a little dragonkin thing that's fucking adorable as hell, uh, called Orin. And then basically, you got to train this thing to fight elder dragons and to defend itself and whatnot. I thought that was awesome. I thought <laughs> someone who enjoys pet classes, that was like, oh, okay, that's that's pretty fucking cool. And then from there, what's going to happen is that you are looking at getting a a lot for your money here for for this expansion. If you measure it again in content, not just in in feature changes, you're looking at five zones and open zones. And they're saying that these are actually bigger than season three and season four put together in terms of how much how the scope of them to the point where this is where they're finally introducing mounts as a means of getting you across these zones. And those mounts are awesome because yes, they're not, I, I, I love what they're doing with the mounts in the expansion. Go ahead. Well, how it's not just like, Hey, you have a mount and gives you a speed increase. And yeah, there's plenty of different mounts, but functionally they're all the same. They're just different skins and what have you. No, no, every unique mount in this game is going to have a special movement option. Uh, the one that I saw showed off the most was the raptor mount, which, I mean, cool enough, it's a raptor mount, you do move faster, but it also has a leap ability to help you get across large gaps and chasms. And like, I even saw in one video, there were races where yeah. a whole bunch of players had lined up and had to go through these gates and actually use the movement abilities to like leap across and get through and find shortcuts and stuff. And like they showed like some flying mounts, like those weird kangaroo mouse things that were like that looked like they the you know, great for traveling across the sand dunes and the desert. Like it's it's a brilliant way to add mounts in and make people want more mounts. Like there's always gonna be mount collectors who want all the stuff, but you know, you also have somebody like me, like I have a mount. I'm good. Like it, it sure, like there might be a shinier one and if I get it, cool, but I'm not going to go after it. But, you know, this gives me that incentive to go after new and unique things because it's actually going to affect the game in a mechanical way. And I love that. See, what's funny is that you say that, but I actually am. Well, I mean, somewhat of a mount collector. Like I'm not one of these diehard ones that goes out and gets everything. No, but I do. I will set some time aside if there are some that I want, like WoW, of course, is notorious for that. And so you need to grind a specific faction to be able to buy them, et cetera, et cetera, or do quests and whatever. And that's something that when I get bored, I do like doing because at the end you got, you know, a new mount. It's fun. As someone who is already somewhat a little bit of a mount collector, I saw this and went, oh, 
<laughs> this is brilliant because it's like you said, like they all have their different movement boosts. The the rabbit one, that's the Springer, allows you to get to really high places. The skimmer is the one that hovers over water and such. The the jackal is living dust that can blink and in the air change direction. Oh. These are pretty awesome fucking things. Mm-hmm. And because it's part of your mastery system, you actually level it up. So each level, your raptor or your whatever pet gets something, a special ability or something. And each of them also, while they're not used for combat specifically, they each do have one ability that is essentially getting you into combat. So if you're riding mm-hmm. around, you can use that ability and it starts combat. And the, 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 the level that you've leveled that up to determines if it's just kind of an intro or if the, the mobs are being flung to you to fight them, different things like that. Some really, really ingenious stuff for mounts. And and like you, I'm looking forward to not just collecting these little son of a bitches, but when more come out, because undoubtedly there will be more. There should be. There better be. Because <laughs> now I'm like, okay, I want to see what else they can do with some of the other creatures there. Brilliant. I was I was very impressed with that. And now I it just occurred to me, what is this going to do for PvP tactics? Yeah. Now that you have all these yeah. new movement options, you can set up like sneak attacks and like you just jump over the walls maybe. Like there's going to be some really cool stuff coming out of this. Yeah. Yeah. If they allow it in that, which one would assume I, they, they have would, to. but yeah, Come they'd on. have to. It'd be fun as hell. So yeah. And then we're getting new specializations as well. This is important because Guild Wars 2 is very different than most MMOs in that they do not believe in making you grind for gear to level up your character. It's about how you want to play. So when you get these new specializations, instead of it being a grind for the new set for your class, it's let's level up these specializations so that you can then have access to a different play style. And that's what keeps it alive and fun. You get to now play as your class functionally, but with tweaks and with changes to make them better. So they they did some of that with Heart of Thorns. And here we're seeing what they're doing and how they're going to be using the events that are going on in the story to influence what that'll do for your characters. So as an example, then you're looking at your guardian's going to have firebrand. So you're looking at more burning enemies and, and conjuring magical tomes to aid your allies. I love that. I love the quote that is book nerds gone mad. (laughs) (laughs) You're entrusted with these secrets that you have to protect. It's very cool. Um, From a lore aspect, I'm just curious what the gameplay will be. The mm-hmm. necromancers get in Scourge, which is kind of instead of working with Joko, it's going to be uh, kind of trying to protect the souls that Joko is trying to take control of. The thief is going to be awesome. I always love playing the thief, too. <laughs> I, I saw this come across and I was like, what? <laughs> yes, they get dead eyed. They're going to get a fucking rifle that they can move and use. The example being like, you know, these are the mercenaries, the trained hunters, all of these guys, the assassins. It looked like a ton of fun. The Mesmer is going to get Mirage, which is going to be, again, very Mesmerish, where you're using deception, 
in your combat. You're, you can camouflage yourself. That was freaking cool so that you kind of just blink in and do a lot of damage and you can strike with multiple from multiple directions with, with mirages and things like that. And then you get that blur dodge mechanic. All very freaking cool. The warrior was super interesting too, and I like the warrior as well. It's an interesting class mm-hmm. plus. They can do so much that it's it's a lot of fun, and they're getting spellbreaker, and this is specifically for fighting magic users. Basically, they were members of the Sunspear Order. They were like chosen guardians, and now they can use various. Uh, means of interrupting and retaliating against magic. Fucking cool as all hell. I love that. My main class I always loved playing was the Elementalist. And this is cool. They're getting Weaver. I, I adore the Weaver. Oh. Like, that is some cool stuff. Go ahead, tell us. Well, because the whole point of the Elementalist, uh, you know, every class in the game can equip two different weapons and switch between them because in Guild Wars, the moves you can use in combat are dependent on the weapon you have equipped. So it gives you, you know, essentially each each class has 10, uh, you know, skills available to them at the time, five for each weapon. Well, the Elementalist could only equip one weapon because they had access to the four different elements, earth, fire, wind, and water, and they could switch between those to give them new skills. So actually the Elementalist had 20 different skills available to it. So if they added in a second weapon, you know, forget about that. So what they're doing here with the Weaver is you're actually able to combine elements so you can have your skill bar set up and you can be in your stance where you have access to fire and earth skills so you'll have some fire attacks you'll have some earth attacks and you also have like some combined elemental attacks which is (laughs) so cool of an idea that is so bloody awesome plus i get a sword finally (laughs) Mm -hmm. here's the thing like before we get into the rest of them like that was the thing that like I really wasn't all that excited with Heart of Thorns. Like, I was like, ah, eh, you know, I'll probably pass because none of the elite specializations really did anything for me. Like, I was like, okay, you know, that's interesting, but like, nothing really grabbed me. It's like, oh, I got to play that. Like, I'm looking at the ones they introduced here, and there's like three or four that I would like to try out. Like, the, from a gameplay standpoint, I, I, I think they are doing far better here than they did with the last expansion. Yeah. Although there were a few with Heart of Thorns that I did justifiably yeah. really want to play and, but and that, this a lot is of that has to do with me like i really really tried to like guild wars but it never really grabbed a hold of me right. a hold of me and, and a lot of it had to do with like i just couldn't find the right class and gameplay style for me that's because you know there's a thousand of them yep. between the eight at the time now nine classes and all the different weapon options and builds like i just you know i couldn't find the one that clicked for me and by the time, you know, maybe I would have found one I'd moved on. So like, seeing that there's more stuff coming up that was like, okay, this might be the one. Like, okay, I, I'm not going to say I'm going to get it on September, but at some point I might pick this up. This is one of those games where the, uh, the class and spec you choose is so much, con- contributes so much to your enjoyment of the game, which may mm-hmm. seem like a ridiculous statement to make because when you think of other games, I mean, of course, that's that applies to pretty much all games. But this one, because each one is so radically different that you can try three or four and be like, yeah, this isn't a game for me, and then land upon one mm-hmm. and be like, oh my God, this is what it's all about. Now I get it. And for me, while I enjoyed, again, I enjoyed all the classes, I had them all. And I and I do enjoy, to one degree or another, all of them. 
but my elemental is with a staff specifically. That's it. I'm in heaven with her. And plus, she's a little cute little female insurer. She's cute as a fucking button. I love her. <laughs> okay, moving on, we've got the ranger. This is cool as well. Who's getting soul beast. You're going to be able to combine your spirit with your pet and take on the essence of the beast. And you're going to get daggers. Plus, they said this is also going to work very well with incoming pets, new ones that they're putting in this expansion, which got me very excited as well. I like the sound of that a lot. Mm-hmm. The engineer is getting Holosmith. Oh, <laughs> the engineer is that class that I like, but I want to like it more. But yeah. I've been having a hard time liking it more kind of thing. Hey. This, you're bending light, creating various weapons. I like that you're going to heat up until you eventually explode. <laughs> it was cool as hell, and I am going to give this a shot for sure. Yeah, of all the classes, engineer is my least favorite. But now I'm looking at this, and I was like, man, maybe it's time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the Revenant, the newest one, is getting Renegade. And basically, you're going to get a new legend, uh, the legend of Kala Scorched Razor, who is a Renegade Char. And you can summon ghostly kind of members of her Char Warband to bolster your allies. You can also shoot arrows through portals. That was fucking cool as hell, too. <laughs> so that's the, the new specializations. It, again, it looks very, very cool. Each one has some very intriguing tweaks, especially when you look at it in terms of the, the new weapons that they're getting as well. Because like you were just saying, too, like the, the weapons are very important in this game because they dictate how you're going to be playing. So having new weapons with which to play isn't just about how they look. So that's very cool. So, yeah, this is is looking very, very cool. A lot of it is going to be taking place in the Crystal Desert. And as someone who played the original Guild Wars, this made me smile because this was in Guild Wars Nightfall, which was an expansion for the original. But last time we saw it was 250 years ago. So things have changed since then. So they showed off different places, which were obviously looked different back then than they do now. Some in ruins, some are cities. So it was kind of cool seeing that passage of time for a game that I played so bloody long ago. I thought that was very, very cool. And then they showed off the different zones to, to one degree or another, and you got to see, again, just how beautiful they are. You're You're not just going to be in the desert. There's lush forest. There's these weird kind of areas with where you can see magic is flowing through there's it's it's just beautiful there's going to be a ton of different mobs for you to fight there's like balthasar's living armor that you're fighting i thought that was cool these undead forces from joko the mindless elementals and as we see in other expansions for other mmos as well it's very much about players you need to form a coalition with the existing npcs and different factions and stuff like that to be able to take on the big bads so that's what we're going to be seeing here which is again going to lead to some fairly interesting story elements so again a lot of cool stuff that they they talked about here the new gill hall is going to be there as well you're going to have some bounties that you can hunt if you only are going to be playing for a short while but you want to feel like you accomplished something a lot of cool stuff so this actually is like i said i'm reinstalling it and i definitely i'm going to even pre-purchase it because i know i want to play through this so very very cool stuff mm-hmm. okay let's move on to 
your segment of the show now. <laughs> Take I it mean away. The rest of it, basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. I, unfortunately, I wasn't here for the E3 episode, so you didn't get to hear me gushing about the new XCOM expansion that was announced at the PC Gaming Showcase. Did you guys touch on that at all? Pff, fuck, I don't remember. <laughs> of we, course. Why did I? Why we, did I even ask? We might have. Let's go with yes. <laughs> and next time, do so, your research and you check. Listen, that was a lot to listen to. <laughs> I, I I hear enough of you on a regular <laughs> Come on! <laughs> I have feelings, you know. I don't, know. <laughs> I'm telling you now. <laughs> I have been informed. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, they announced the expansion pack to XCOM 2 called War of the Chosen. And the big uh, draw of this expansion was that the alien forces were basically sending in their elite leaders, not necessarily leaders, but their elite hunters, if you will, uh, to come after XCOM and specifically you, the commander, because you escaped their grasp once. That was the whole point of XCOM 2. Was, remember, at the end of XCOM 1, you actually lost the war. So at the beginning of XCOM 2, the, the first mission is to free... You know, you, the commander, the player character from alien captivity, and now they want you back. So they're sending in the chosen. And a little while ago, we got a whole bunch of new information. Like they've been slowly putting out like little treat teasers and stuff, but they actually get put out like a new new gameplay trailer and actually did like an all whole hour long live stream of one of the missions and showed off all kinds of stuff. So first of all, we've got the three chosen, the assassin, the hunter and the warlock. Uh, one, of course, specializing in stealth, one in like ambush tactics, and one that's very psionic-based. And when they showed off these guys actually in actual gameplay, they're very similar to your actual soldiers in that whenever they show up on a mission, and you know, some like there are gonna be some scripted missions, like the one they showed off, like you're always gonna meet up the assassin. XCOM being XCOM, they could just fucking show up whenever. Like, it's just a random chance in some missions that one of the chosen is to show up to come and get you. And whenever they show up, they're going to have various buffs and weaknesses that procedurally generated as you get stronger, they're going to get stronger. Like, the, the one mission they showed off when the assassin showed up, the assassin chosen is... And again, in this mission, I don't know if it's always going to be these same tactics. Uh, The only one they said that always is going to be there is uh, one of the NPC factions is going to have an advantage against each individual chosen. But she was uh, immune to explosions and couldn't and also immune to overwatch fire, which means you couldn't set up like crossfire lines and draw her out of cover. Like you actually had to go after her if you want to kill her. And like, it's cool. Like it's going to add this entire layer on top of the game of like being on the lookout for these guys, making sure you have, you know, the right number, not necessarily right number, but having um, a versatile enough team that if one of them shows up, like you're able to actually take them down because like, if you're rolling in with a whole bunch of heavies and you get one that's immune to explosions, you're shit out of luck basically. <laughs> so it, it's going to definitely uh, lead to diversifying your squad which is great because they showed off the actual NPC factions as well. And you can actually recruit members of the NPC factions into your squads. Uh, You have the Reapers, which are built around stealth. 
you have the the Templars, which are super psionic soldiers, and the Skirmishers, which are very interesting because they're actually former uh, Advent troops. Advent is human troops that went over to the alien side and have been like crossbred with alien DNA. And now they've realized, now this isn't the way we want to go. And they're turning back to help out humanity in the war in their own way. And again, they all have their unique mechanics. The Reapers have a uh, an upgraded version of the stealth mechanic. In this game, you when you start the mission, your team is essentially in stealth. And until you do something to break stealth, you know, you can move around the map, not necessarily freely, of course, you know, you can't run past enemies and whatnot, but it allows you to kind of set up yourself tactically. And the Reapers have ways of expanding that, starting, you know, in like advantageous locations, or even once they've broken stealth, they can go back into stealth to gain those benefits and continue scouting the map. Uh, the skirmishers are really built around the like grappling hook that's in the game, both in being able to like fly around the map and get to rooftops and whatnot, but also pulling enemies out of cover and stuff like that. And the Templars, like I said, they're just super psionic soldiers. They actually have like a focus meter that you can build up and that'll enhance their psionic abilities beyond what they already have. So there's a lot of cool gameplay stuff that they're adding in here. A lot of, you know, different pieces that you can just keep adding into the puzzle, which was cool enough itself until they showed off this mission. And like, they were like, oh yeah, here's like a thousand other things that we're going to do too. Like it was amazing because one of the big ones, and I'm so happy they put this in is you can actually have your teammates form bonds. Like if they go on enough missions together, they can become like a bonded pair, if you will. Oh, that's cool. Where if they're fighting alongside each other, they're going to be more effective. And, you know, if like one of them dies, the other one is just going to be like fucked. Like they're, they're going to have to go through a mourning period essentially before they can be fully battle effective again. So it encourages you to like team up your squads and like build like actual squads around certain characters. I and, like and that. And instead of just having like one group that you always roll with and, you know, you just keep recycling troops as one of them gets injured or what have you. That's freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. Jesus, we should and see like that showed, a like, lot more in other games. Mm-hmm. They, they showed off like, yeah, you know, just fighting together is a way to like build the first level. But like you'll actually, there's certain things you can do to further increase their bond. Like if one of them falls unconscious and the other one picks them up and carries them to the evac zone. Oh, you just leveled up your bond with those two characters because now <sighs> one of them saved the other one's life. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, no, seriously, I'm I'm racking my brain right now trying to think of another game that's done something similar to that. Like not even Mass Effect, like which is built around that the was squad my first yeah, and stuff. Like, my first, I was wondering if that was it, but no. I'm and again, I'm running through every freaking game that I can think of that has a squad system like that, and I can't think of a one that did that. Mm-hmm. And, and remember, like, like these aren't even characters; they're just like randomly generated NPCs, if you will. Like. The, their character comes across like through gameplay and like how you the player kind of attach yourself to them so like it, it's cool like essentially they're just blank slates and this is the game making them more interesting that's awesome mm-hmm. there's also i forget exactly what they called it but it's like a willpower mechanic it, it's essentially a way to force the player to set you know again not just have like one elite squad that they send on every mission because you know eventually they're just going to be 
physically they might still be okay. Hey, they didn't get injured, but you know, they're mentally exhausted and they need, they need a little R and R time. So <laughs> pulling it, off a darkest dungeon. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's like the sanity mechanic from darkest dungeon. And, and you know, there's things, you know, if the mission goes bad, they're going to need more rest time. So like, Again, I, I like that because I like being able to use different characters and like different yeah. builds and putting squads together for like, okay, this mission would I be better off with, you know, a sniper and a healer and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. And then this actual mission that they showed off, it's one of the few scripted missions in the game where you have to bring uh, two members of the 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 factions together for a meeting uh, a member of the reapers and a member of the skirmishers and first of all they hate each other because the reapers don't trust the skirmishers because they used to be you know aliens the skirmishers don't trust the reapers because the reapers you know kill them <laughs> essentially so what's that's, that's a pretty what damn good reason sending your squad of four in you pick two teams of two to send in to each, each of the two has to escort one of the NPCs, and then you get to the third stage of the mission where you have your squad of four and the two NPCs in, in like, the final battle. So, again, they're, they're really tweaking a lot of gameplay elements here as well. They also introduced the new enemy type known as the Lost. So the Lost are humans who have essentially been burnt out by the radiation uh, from the first wave of the alien invasion. Like there's these cityscapes like that, you know, the aliens just, so we don't need that. You know, they haven't bothered to like rebuild it as part of their controlling of earth. You know, they only focused on you know, advantageous, tactically in important positions. And there's cities all over the planet that are still covered in, you know, they're war torn, covered in radiation. The people who live there aren't human anymore. They are the lost. Essentially they're zombies. With that, you know, they're slow, they're, they, they don't have guns, they don't use cover, they're not very intelligent, they just run at you until they kill you or you kill them. They put in another mechanic here with the Lost of, since you're facing, you know, up to a dozen of them at any given time, you only, it, it being a, a turn-based strategy game, you can only fire so many bullets in one turn. So with the Lost, if you kill one of the Lost with a headshot, you get your action back. Ooh. So you can just like mow down, you know, swarms of these things as long as you keep hitting them. And the important thing, as long as you still have enough bullets yeah. to keep hitting them. <laughs> so it, it gives you that like last stand, you know, zombie horde feel in a turn-based tactical game, which, which is works really well. Which you would think would be impossible. So mm -hmm. goes to them. And the fun thing that they said about the Lost is... They're not, you know, they're not like pure enemies. You know, they're going to attack the alien soldiers just as much as they're going to attack you. So, you know, if you're on a mission and, hey, Lost just happened to show up from this restaurant that you blew the wall out of, you better hope they're closer to the enemies than they are to you because it's, it's going to add like this other layer of chaos on top of the battles because like, if you've got enemies on one side and all of a sudden the Lost are approaching from the back, you're going to have to make some tactical decisions because the Lost, they're not intelligent, but they will be attracted by loud sounds. So, you know, if you're setting off grenades and shooting rockets and you're in one of these war-torn cities, there's a good chance there's a swarm of zombies is going to show up at some point. 
but I'm looking at this. I can use this to my advantage. Yeah. Like if I, if I know there's some around, I can just chuck a grenade behind enemy lines and suddenly they've got to deal with them and I can GTFO. That's actually pretty much what I was thinking too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, it, there's so much cool stuff that they're doing with this expansion. Like I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because I liked XCOM 2. I didn't really like it as much as the first one. Like I loved a lot of the stuff they did gameplay wise, but like there was just certain things that was like, it, it was great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not bashing the game. I just, I, I personally was more attached to the first one than the second one, but like a lot of the stuff they're doing here, like it's a lot of really smart things that it, it, it's going to add layers of depth on top of the game, which I really appreciate. Cool. All right. You want to talk about your RPG? Yeah. Do it. So while uh, we know here, I run our D&D game, I play in Shadowrun, and I recently started up running our Tales from the Loop game, I actually really enjoy just checking out new games. Even if I have no intention of playing it or running it, I like the books, I like reading them. If nothing else, it serves as A, nice reading material, <laughs> but B, it, it's nice inspiration sometimes. Like, even if, like, I'm not playing my, you know, sci-fi space opera game like i'm aware of like a lot of what it does and you know i can not necessarily i'm not going to put you know spaceships into D, but some of the things that it does like mechanically with like its universe generation like it it can if nothing else kind of like pique my interest and have me thinking about things a different way for a game that i am playing but of all the games i've played very few of them have had mechanics that really support what you're trying to do and like the, the themes that you're trying to set up. Like for example, D and D and D has a lot of mechanics, but nothing in those mechanics really supports putting you in the mindset of being these, you know, adventurers in a fantasy world. You roll some dice, some things happen. And then the role-playing happens on top of that. Same thing with Shadowrun. Shadowrun is, has mechanics out the ass. Like, the Shadowrun core rulebook is gigantic and it's filled with nothing but mechanics, but very few of those mechanics kind of support the role-playing style. We're seeing a little more of this with Tales from the Loop about how it's built around, you know, thinking and, you know, around trouble instead of confronting it head on and, and stuff like that. But this latest book that I've picked up does probably the best job of any game I've seen of the mechanics supporting the type of game that you want to play thematically. And that game is called Blades in the Dark, uh, written by John Harper. And like, I follow a lot of GMs and like RPG designers on Twitter and YouTube and stuff. So like, I was aware of this when it was still like in its beta playtesting stages. It went through Kickstarter. I couldn't afford to back the Kickstarter at the time. Thankfully, I was, I was still able to get my hands on a special edition copy as like a late backer through Backer Kit once I actually, you know, had a stable income and stuff because it, it, it was on Kickstarter like right around the time I was moving. So it just couldn't work. So again, first of all, gorgeous book. I, I love this book. It looks beautiful. And it's a very well written RPG from a mechanical standpoint, which is the, I think it's something you're hearing me saying, like the setting is cool. The characters are cool, but it's very elegant in the way that you play the game and how the rules 
support what the players want to do. So just a little bit about the setting. There's a sentence here early on in the book that I absolutely love, and I think it tells you everything you need to know about the kind of game you're playing. You're in a haunted Victorian-era city trapped inside a wall of lightning powered by demon blood. (laughs) What? (laughs) Read that again. (laughs) You're in a haunted Victorian-era city trapped inside a wall of lightning powered by demon blood. Okay, all right, I can see it now. All right, okay. okay. Wow. So what I've kind of been burying the lead here so as not to get you super excited right off the bat, this is essentially Dishonored, the RPG. Yeah. Wow. Because it has that Victorian setting, same, yeah. same as Dishonored did. It's built around assassination, spy work, that sort of stuff. But the core thing with the setting, the city of Duskwall, is that at some point, a thousand years in the past, somebody tried to do a magic ritual and fucked up. The sun is literally gone. The dead are everywhere. The doors between life and death have been broken. The civilization exists within a limited number of cities that are protected from the roving undead and demons by these lightning walls, essentially. And without a sun, without you know being able to go mine for resources and whatnot, the, the power that that runs these things is the blood of leviathans these demonic sea creatures that you know people go out and hunt and bring back to to use for keeping society alive why aren't we playing this (laughs) i knew this was going to happen fucking time to run another game for you we, we could discuss after we wrap up Tales from the wow. Lord. Okay, let's put it that way. That sounds awesome. <laughs> that sounds and and for awesome. a lot of games, like, you know, most GMs will try to, like, come up with their own setting. Like, you see, like, I don't play in a default D&D setting. I create my own world. You know, Shadowrun is a little different because Shadowrun is built around a lot of, like, the lore and the structure of things. You know, Joe kind of twists it up by the fact that we're running in Chicago. Most Shadowrun games take place in Seattle because Chicago, you've seen how fucked up Chicago (laughs) is in Shadowrun. (laughs) But this game is designed to run in Duskwall because you're playing this group of underground characters. You can actually choose how you want your crew to run. You know, let's let's use assassins as as our base here. So... You know, if you go around, you know, assassinating people and, you know, this and that, or maybe assassination goes wrong, the police are looking for you. You can't skip town and go somewhere else because that is not a thing that exists in this world, being able to easily travel from town to town. So the entire game is built around doing these underground operations, these highly illegal things, messing with the higher tiers of society and dealing with the consequences of that. Like it, as you continue to play the game, pressure will continue to mount on your crew because of the people that you've pissed off and fucked over. But at the same time, you've also built yourself a power base. You have allies. So it gives a certain amount of progression to the crew and the group as a whole that I think is. Why aren't we playing this? <laughs> Holy shit. 
we're not we're playing it because I started reading the book two weeks ago. That's why we're not playing. It. Wow. I I'm love on it. Page 91 out of 350. That's why we're not playing it, okay? Man. Yeah, I'm looking on it at it on Amazon right now. <laughs> Holy crap. It, it's so it, a lot of it is around building up your crew, building up your reputation. There's mechanics in there for acquiring new turf, combating other rival gangs. You know, you, you continue to to raise your influence in the city. You get, you know, as, as your tier is the mechanical description for it. As the tier of your gang grows, you have more goons working for you. You know, you don't have to deal with, you know, like, you know, at least part, as part of the, the game, like, you know, and like, oh, you know, the there's a, you know, there's a coffee shop that's causing problems. Like, you don't necessarily have to deal with that as players. You could just send your people to go take care of that for you. So it f- keeps the game focused on what the player characters are doing while still having mechanics in place for, for other stuff. Or, you know, if if you want to do a frontal assault on this uh, on the docks, you know, if you've only got three, four players, that's going to be really hard. But if you've got three, four players and, you know, a dozen knuckleheads with, you know, pipe wrenches <laughs> backing them up, that's a thing you can do. As far as the characters themselves, they, there's, of course, different archetypes of, you know, you have the fighter, you have, you know, the, the information broker, you have the weird you know, magical people, you know, all the stuff. There's a lot of flexibility in there as to how you build your character. And the dice mechanics are so simple. Like, let's say you want to fight a guy. So you have your skirmish skill. You have three points in skirmish. So you roll three six-sided dice. On a six, cool. You get, like, what all of the dice say doesn't matter. You just pick the highest of the three. So, of course, the more dice you're rolling, the better chance you have of rolling a higher number. If you roll a six and that's your highest number, great. You do what you want. You beat the guy in the fight. Like, that's it. There's no initiative. There's no, you fight him, he fights you. You fight him, he fights you. You roll a six, the fight is over, you win. You roll a four or a five, that's a success, but with a twist. Like, okay, yeah, you fight him, but before he goes down, he stabs you. Or on a one to three, you fucked up. Like, you lost the fight. And it gives mechanically very simple but a lot of room for narrative stuff to happen of like, you know, you, if you roll that four or five, I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. You, you, you win the fight, you knock him out. But I said, you know, he gets you with a knife in the gut before he goes down. So there's going to be a mechanical thing for that of you got stabbed, you know, you're going to lose a dice on, you know, any fighting rolls going forward until you can get that healed or something like if you're trying to convince someone to your side, you roll a six. Great. Yeah. They're going to help you out. You roll a, four or five, they'll help you out, but maybe you got to pay them a little extra. On a one to three, they're not going to help you and they're probably going to tell the cops about it. Something like that. And what's great is as a GM, I wouldn't tell you what skill to roll. You would tell me what skill you want to roll to approach this situation. So Explain what you mean. As as an example I came up with, uh, there's a pawn shop that the owner has information about a guy you want to track down. 
and you go to the pawn shop and you're like, okay, hey, I want to get information. I'm like, okay, how do you want to do this? Well, you could use your rec skill, for example. I, you know, you tell me, you know, you just start smashing up the shop until he gives you the information you want. I'm like, okay. And then as the GM, I tell you what your position is and what your potential rewards are. So if you're wrecking his shop, uh, that's probably a risky position because it could attract attention. It could, you know, piss this guy off more. And you're probably only getting limited results out of it because he'll give you the, he'll give you the information you want, but he's still going to be pissed off at you because you fucked up all of his shit. Or you could say, okay, I don't want to smash up his shop. I just want to try and sway him, you know, which is another still sway, sway. I'm like, okay, that puts you in, oh God, I've already forgotten all the terms, a controlled position because, you know, you, you're just trying to talk him down and you're going to get a better result out of that if you succeed. Or you could do something crazy like I want to attune to the local spirits and summon uh, <laughs> an angry ghost to haunt the shop and scare away customers. <laughs> Like, okay, that can work, but you're going to be in a desperate position because if this goes wrong, it's going to be very bad for you. You're still going to get the spirit you wanted, but it's probably not going to be pissed off at the shopkeeper, <laughs> stuff like that. So, so it gives the players complete control over how they want to approach a situation while still being aware of the consequences of these things. And there's things you could do to make this easier on yourself. Like there's a mechanic for pushing yourself. You can take, you can choose to take stress to gain an extra die on a roll. And this is, you know, just that. Like you're a person living on the edge of a blade, essentially. Like nothing is going to be easy for these characters. So they're going to have to go above and beyond, you know. You can't play it safe, essentially, in this game. Yeah, there, there's no such thing as being the safe assassin. <laughs> you can plan, you can you can do as much as you want to, to, to make it easier for yourself, but at some point you're going to have to take a risk to pull off a job. And, and this is the mechanic for it of if you want to do something you're not good at, you can still push yourself mentally and physically to at least have a chance to succeed. And my favorite mechanic here is what's known as the devil's bargain. On any role in the game, well, where it makes sense, the player can ask for a devil's bargain for an extra die to roll, where, as the GM, I give you that extra die, but I want something from you in return. Heavy cost. Yes, but if it's a really important role, it might be worth it. It might be as simple as, you know, you got to pay more money or like, yeah, you can get that extra die, but it's going to like the cops are going to be more aware of what you're doing, which Wait, is short term, not a big deal, but it can have a long term effect. Is this defined by the GM or is it defined by something in the book for each encounter kind of thing? Oh, no, it's 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 not it's not even defined by the GM. It's a bargain. Like, yeah, no, but somebody has to say, sure, you can have another dice, but it's going to cost you this. Yeah. Who defines and, that this? Well, that that would be the GM. Okay. But, you know, it, it's it's a negotiation, if you will, between the GM and the players. It's not a pure it's this or nothing like you can count. You can make a counter offer like there's a lot of like really cool stuff. You're literally making a deal with the devil. devil you right? want to yeah. make sure you read the fine print. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I like that, actually. Oh, yeah. And oh, God. I keep saying this, like how how well designed this game is the best 
thing about this because this is a game designed around these uh, underground operations. So I'm going to use Shadowrun as the example because the it is the prevailing RPG on the market for underground operations. I played in a Shadowrun campaign for about a year. In every single one of those games, at least three quarters of the gaming session was the players planning how they're going to break into the building or extract the, the or you know, the NPC or you know, assassinate the person they're sent after. And then 25% is actually playing the game to get those results. Clearly your groups do not have a Babs. <laughs> Babs gets shit done. <laughs> So, and this is not, you know, pure to my group, like every Shadowrun group that, you know, runs in a group with, you know, playing, you know, normal Shadowrun. Remember, we, we play a more narrative focused version of Shadowrun that Joe has set up for us. And, you know, like, that's fun, especially like the character I was playing, you know, he was a rigger. So he he was built around, you know, using drones and whatnot. So I was really involved in like the surveillance parts of the game and finding information. And then when we went into combat, I still could send in my drones. But if you have a guy who is good at one thing and that one thing is shooting guns (laughs) and you're sitting there spending an hour, two hours, three hours planning out the mission where he doesn't really have anything to offer. He's just waiting for the mission to start. Like it kind of leaves that player out. So blades in the dark, you know, it gives you your opportunities to gather information and this and that. And then you just go fucking do it. (laughs) Like for an individual character, you decide how much load you want to bring with you. Yeah, it's, it's a numerical thing. The more load you have, you know, A, the slower you're going to move, but B, the more conspicuous you're going to be as well. If you're carrying around a whole bunch of shit, people are going to say, what the fuck is that guy doing? So yeah, you, each player determines their load, but they don't determine what's in that load. So as you're on the mission and you're there, you get to a locked door and whatnot, you like, oh yeah, I brought my lock picks with me check off one load on your character sheet. As long as you have the load, you know, you're a professional. You planned for this. Of course you brought your fucking lock picks. But you don't have to spend time before the mission starts going, okay, I bring my lock picks, I bring, bring my binoculars, I bring my, my bow and arrow. It, it allows you to just get to the fun part of the game without spending so much time doing inventory management. On top That's of that, very cool. Plus, it actually puts the onus then on the player to be keeping mm-hmm. track of that and to plan ahead. Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to use it now or do you want to save it in case you'll need it later? Kind of thing. Exactly. I that's going to make you use again that that creative part of your brain. That's okay. Do I just use it or is there any way I can accomplish this task without it? Mm-hmm. I really like that. the The entire game from a player perspective is essentially resource management. Managing your stress, managing your load to to make sure that you accomplish the mission successfully, you know, overcome your obstacles, but, you know, make sure that you still have what you need once you get to the end, if you will. And this also works for the group as well. Again, you don't have to plan your infiltration and exfiltration and this and that. Like, There's actually what's called the encounter role after you've made your basic plan, if you will. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to, you know. Uh, sneak in and do this and, you know, steal the papers and we'll leave. Like, that that's basically all you need. And then you roll dice based on, you know, how much information you've gathered and this and that. 
And then the dice determines, you know, well, how, how that goes from the beginning. Like if you roll high, like the mission, you know, the, the, the actual gameplay scene might start when you're already in the guy's office. Cause you did good on the planning stage. You rolled well. Great. You, you've, you've, you've circumvented the first couple tiers of security. If it doesn't go well, well, you're in the office and a fight's about to start because you got caught, stuff like that. But when you're actually on the mission and overcoming these things, like, you know, you're running down the docks, you know, with it, with the, with the, the guards behind you. And this is where it starts playing out like an actual heist movie, like an Ocean's Eleven type thing where like, oh shit, how are we going to get out of this? One of the players goes, well, don't you remember we made that deal with the guy to have a boat waiting for us? And then you do a flashback scene. Oh, Jesus Christ, dude. To <laughs> convincing the guy to have that boat waiting for you. You don't have to come up with the plan ahead of time. Again, you don't have to waste time getting to the fun part of having every option available. But again, you're professionals. Of course you had a boat waiting for you. Let's go play out that scene, roll some dice and see, well, let's see if the boat's actually there. <laughs> So it keeps the gameplay focused on the cool stuff, going in, doing your shit, getting out without wasting time with things that are important, but may not be like, you know, hey, but if, if you did beforehand and you had that whole scene of having the guy waiting for the boat and it turns out you didn't need the boat, you just wasted, you know, a half hour in a scene with something that didn't matter for the end game. And that's what I keep coming back to is how elegantly designed this game is to keep things focused on what's important, focused on what's fun, and having mechanics that support the type of game that everybody wants to play in, of being on that razor's edge between success and failure and having the pressure of the law and and everything on your team and being able to circumvent it and coming up with these cool plans in the moment instead of that, you know, committee session beforehand. Like I am in love with this game. I want to play this so hard. I know you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds amazing though. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. Every page of this book that I read is just, oh my God, that's the smartest thing I've ever seen. Like, okay, there's not denominations of money in this game. There's just a stat called coin. That is a numerical representation of your general status and wealth. If you've got one coin, you're fucking poor. If you've got five coin, okay, you you know, your clothes are, you know, not nice, but they're clean, you know. It's, it's... It takes something very complex in, in like inventory management to know this costs five gold, this costs 10 gold and simplifies it into a simple thing. And, you know, obviously, you know, five coin is a lot of fucking money. It's like a sack of gold. So you're not carrying around five coin. You can stash some at your base and then each player has a stash where in between missions, any coin you don't want to be carrying around on you, you put it in your stash. This is important because the game is designed around eventually 
the players are going to take enough stress or injuries and whatnot that there's going to be a point where that player character is going to want to retire. And how much coin you have saved up in your stash is essentially the epilogue for that character. If you haven't saved up a lot of coin, well, after their life of crime, they're essentially homeless on the street. But if you did really well for yourself, like you have become part of high society now. But let's say you don't want to retire. Let's say you want to continue pushing the envelope. Let's say eventually your character dies. Well, like I said, the doors between life and death are closed. Everything is fucked up. This town is haunted. There's actually mechanics in the game for you to play as a ghost. Oh, Jesus. You can turn your awesome, you know, assassin character into a ghost and continue helping the team that way. And then there are further options once you're a ghost. You can possess, you know, there's certain uh, qualifications you have to, but if you possess the right body, you can then start playing as a vampire. Or... If the team gets the materials and the craftsmen that they need, they can build you a robot body for your oh, ghost for to pilot. Fox, you're torturing me. <laughs> <laughs> this is torture right now. And, but, a robot ghost? <laughs> yes. When are we playing this? <laughs> okay, how long is the. Nah, we, we haven't even started yet. <laughs> <laughs> how long is our tales from the loop campaign gonna last uh, i have a feeling it's gonna last not quite as long now as it was a few minutes ago <laughs> something's gotta go <laughs> we're gonna have to figure something out because holy but shit yes, well, once one wow. of our current oh games has, has wrapped and there's time in our schedule for another one i would be more than happy to run blinks on the dark for this group. i'm gonna actually because I'm- this game sounds so much fun and like if you have the right group of people who really buys into the concept of what this game is about and doesn't keep trying to just play it safe and like it's not very fun like i can see this being an absolute blast god yeah all right any parting thoughts on that or are you done well, if you want to know more about uh, the game, again, you can search for it online. There's actually some great uh, video series that you can watch of like the game actually being played. Uh, there's one on actually John Harper, the lead designer, on his YouTube channel of him essentially doing the play test as he was developing the rules. And like it, it's he explains it because, you know, the players like there's no book for the players to have read. He has to explain everything. So it gives you a really good understanding of the rules and you can see things evolving over time as he's, you know, they're testing it. This isn't the finished product. Like, okay, this mechanic doesn't quite make sense. This and that. So like, it's cool. It's called the blood letters and having seen like some of those and then reading the book, whenever he gives a gameplay example, it's the blood letters and not just like he's using their characters. Like this is actually stuff that came up in the play testing sessions (laughs) that he put into the book as examples. That's awesome. Or uh, my my personal favorite, it, I've only watched like the first five episodes at this point, uh, but I've been catching up on it, and it's on the uh, the Roleplay series, uh, R-O-L-L Play, and it's called Roleplay Blades. And again, it's John Harper, the guy that designed the game, GMing for uh, a bunch of uh, like streaming and YouTube personalities uh, doing their uh, RPG stuff, and it's 
it's so much fun and it, it really gives you a good understanding of how the game is played okay <laughs> that is gonna wrap up this episode I, i'm fucking buying this i oh my god i need I, to f- i i cannot i cannot recommend it highly enough it's just like amazing. i have a lot of rpg books on my shelf some of them i like some of them like i'm like hey this is really cool and never actually gonna play it but i'm glad i read the book i'm glad it, you know it was an interesting experience but you know, it's now just a book rolled with with blades it's okay i'm glad i bought this because this is a game i will play at some point in the yeah. future yeah definitely Okay, you can check out the show notes for this at ForTheLore.com. You can find us also on Twitter at ForTheLore. Individually, Joe is LordersDJ, Vince is Simodian, and I am Zen Buddhist. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. And with that, we'll let you go and we'll talk to you. Or we don't have a game this week. Next week. Maybe Joe will show up. Who the fuck knows? Yeah, I won't. <laughs> we'll see. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> for listening to for the lore each week the show is broadcast live on mondays at 7 p.m eastern stop by for the slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show if you'd like to hear more from the guys check out comic book informer a weekly podcast from vince and roger as well as popcorn ronin a bi-weekly movie tv and anime podcast and lastly thanks to manelli jamal for the show's theme music We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. Goodbye, darling. Down the road I go.